If you want to follow in uh, your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're working through a series called Christianity Over Culture. Um, the realization that we are uh, trying to remind ourselves of or get a hold of is the fact that though we grow up in a culture that is largely influenced by uh, people that don't know and love God, certainly uh, we have an enemy who's the devil who seeks to influence this world and this culture. And so there's that force that works against who we are called to be as people who have put our trust in Jesus. We are called as Christians to live according to Jesus' culture. We're to have a different culture. We are to live differently as followers of Jesus. And so that's what we're trying to get our uh, heads and our hearts around through this series as we work through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians was um, one of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He was on his second missionary journey when he started this church as he left Athens and he went to Corinth and a bunch of mayhem erupted in Corinth and yet God uh, actually spoke to him in a dream and Jesus said, keep preaching, Paul. I've got people here that I want to come to Christ. And so he continued to work and got a church started and then he continued on his missionary journey and during his uh, third missionary journey, he writes from the city of Ephesus to this church in Corinth regarding some of the issues that they were grappling with. He uh, uh, comments to them as we engage this letter that this is a church full of people, it's probably about five years old, who have grown very little in their relationship with Jesus. In other words, they put their trust in Christ, but they're not changing. They're not experiencing life change. They're not having God uh, transform them so their behaviors look different than the world. He says, you guys are still living like the world around you. You look just like the rest of Corinth, but you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. You've been rescued. You're not called to continue to live like everyone else. And so he uh, interacts with them, probably from uh, uh, some questions that they sent to him, asking him how to handle some issues. And so we've been working our way through this, through this uh, letter, this epistle, because it, in a lot of ways, mirrors the culture that we live in. And some of the challenges that this group of Christians faced, we face. And I think you're going to see that today. A big picture today, the big idea for this message is that we know that God cares about our hearts, our souls, our minds. But in this message, we're going to be reminded or learn that God cares about our bodies too. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, the apostle starts out this way, you say... He says to the Corinthians, I'm allowed to do anything. This is in quotes in the NLT, the New Living Translation that I preach out of. And uh, your Bible may have uh, it worded a little differently depending on what version you're, uh, you're tracking in. But basically, this was a saying that the church in Corinth used. They would say openly, I'm allowed to do anything. Paul counters with this comment regarding their freedom but not everything is good for you, right? We get a little insight into God's heart for us that we are saved by grace, which we're gonna talk about. We have liberty as Christians. We're not bound by an adherence to a set of rules, right? That's not what we're called to. We're called into a relationship with God, but in that relationship with God, the, thing, the things that govern our activities or our freedom, is it good for us? Interesting. Then he goes on to say, and even though, 
He quotes them again. I'm allowed to do anything. He says, I must not become a slave to anything. Mm. Freedom. Christian liberty. It's a topic that you may have heard about before. Um, Certainly as the the apostle here in the early church in the first century is dealing with a, a movement, a change in God's uh, uh, relationship with humanity, right? it was governed by the law of Moses, 10 commandments, got to follow these rules. There was a whole web of laws that were developed and created by the religious leaders to govern people's behavior, to ensure that they were living for God. Jesus comes in and he doesn't abolish the law, he fulfills it, And he says, now you can be saved, not by works, not by your righteous behavior, but you can be saved freely by grace. Grace is a free gift. It's undeserved. Nothing you can do to earn your salvation. That's what Jesus makes clear and the New Testament makes clear. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Undeserved, unmerited, nothing you can do to earn it. And so with that comes freedom. Oh, some say, I mean, I don't have to follow a set of rules anymore. I mean, I'm saved and forgiven. Woo-hoo. Ah, that means I can live however I want. And certainly this was happening in Corinth. They had a saying, I'm allowed to do anything. Freedom requires responsibility. Freedom is power. And so though God has given us free will, a freedom to determine and decide what we're gonna do with our life, am I gonna put my trust in Jesus or not? Am I gonna follow him or not? This is power that I've been given by God and I've got to use it with responsibility. Freedom requires that. Without responsibility, without the character to handle freedom, we self-destruct. Um, back in the 2000s, my family and I spent some time in Atlanta, Georgia. We were doing some mission work in the city. And I remember breaking in and trying to get my uh, bearings in a, a little Bohemian community that was um, full of um, older hippies and newer, younger hippies. And it was very diverse and it was a godless community, very pagan. And a lot of sin and a lot of stuff that happened in Corinth was happening there in real time. And I remember trying to find somebody that maybe would be open to talking about Jesus because for the most part, the community was closed closed off to Christianity. They said, we tried that. We've been there. We've done that. We're done with that. We're moving on. And, uh, and so it was a difficult community to work in, but uh, made my way into a copy shop where you could make copies and print, get printing done. And, uh, and I went to print a newsletter to send out to our supporters. And in doing that, I met the guy that ran the copy shop. His name was Duff or that's what he went by. It wasn't his real name, but everybody had pseudonyms in that community. Um, wanted to live in autonomy. And so, uh, uh, so this was his name and I got to know him a little bit and he was open to a relationship, not so open to Jesus, but open to a relationship. And so began to get to know him and his friends and work there. I even spent some time working with him and um, he wasn't very responsible as a business owner. Um, in fact, he was horrible. Um, he would uh, come in late, if at all. He would take money out of the till for his lunch or to buy some pot or to get uh, whatever he wanted to do. He just didn't run the business, no organization, no responsibility. And, and uh, somebody called him on it one time. I don't think it was me, but somebody's like, Duff, you need to get responsible. You need to uh, show up. You need to run this business correctly. You need to be accountable. And he said, to that, he said, I'm the boss. Nobody can tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. 
If I want to come to work drunk, I can come to work drunk. And no one can tell me I can't. Well, that was true. (laughs) He certainly lived that way. The business also didn't last very long, right? Because freedom requires responsibility and character. Some of us, some Christians in our world, try to live that way. I've been saved by grace. I'm free in Christ. No one can tell me what I'm doing is wrong. How do you know, right? And we dabble a little bit and cherry pick some of the verses in the Bible to justify our behavior, to say that I am really free to do anything. And Paul, dealing with the church in Corinth, boy, that's what they were saying. (laughs) They lived in a culture full of excess and sinful behavior and wickedness, and they didn't want to stop doing those things. They enjoyed them. And they said, no, man, we're free. My sins are forgiven. I got a ticket to heaven. I can live however I want, and no one can tell me I can't. Now, that is a form of heresy that existed in the church that says, when I trust in Christ, I am free to live however I want. The law no longer has any merit or bearing in my life. That was the Old Testament. I don't have to follow the Ten Commandments anymore, right? I don't have to keep the Sabbath. That was in the Old Testament. Thank goodness, I can now do whatever I want seven days a week, I don't ever have to set aside a day to worship God, right? And, and so we practice this. It can filter its way, and it's kind of continued through the church. And it's a form of heresy, a form of spiritual anarchy that was dealt with and has been dealt with since the beginning. The truth is that we do have freedom in Christ. We are saved by grace. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been set free. We don't have to follow the law but our freedom isn't to be used as a license to continue to sin. Our freedom is to be used as a license to live for God, to follow the Spirit, to do more and more good. In other words, the bar isn't lowered because of our freedom in Christ. The bar is actually raised higher in terms of God's expectations of us. He says, listen, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, and so you need to live for him. And today we're going to discover in this passage that what we do in our bodies matters because we're no longer to be slaves to sin. Um, When we view our freedom as a license to do whatever we want, we have this very real possibility of being governed by our sin nature. In Romans 7, Paul deals with this conundrum when following the law or trying to do what is good, an impossibility at pulling it off perfectly. He says this in Romans 7, verse, starting in verse 14. So the trouble is not with the law. He's been t- contrasting grace, right, and the law. He says the law isn't the problem, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that I am, uh, what I am doing is wrong... This shows that I agree with the law is good, or I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin in me that does wrong. And he goes to unpack the reality of a sin nature that dwells within us, that's part of us. And Paul describes in other places, other contexts, that the difference between following Jesus and not putting our trust in him is that this sin nature that's a part of our being, right, It controls and dictates our behaviors. We are enslaved to sin because of it. That when we trust Christ, it gets cut away from our nature. 
It still remains within us, okay? We can still live out of our sin nature. But when we've trusted Christ, we no longer have to. We've been set free from being controlled by it. And so the truth is, physically, as human beings, right, made in God's image, we have bodies, though, and that physically we have appetites. We have appetites. And, uh, and it's very easy for our physical appetites to get governed by our sin nature, controlled by our sin nature, and that leads us into immorality or dysfunctions or harmful behaviors. What we really need to discover as followers of Christ is the ability to live by the Spirit and live out of the relationship that we have with Jesus and not following our sin nature. Um, Grace gives freedom, but it can be misused if we are not governed by the Holy Spirit. And however this happened in Corinth, that's what was going on. Paul is going to teach them that true freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin guiltlessly, but it's the freedom from sin. So it's important to realize that when you follow Jesus or are a follower of Jesus, it matters what you do with your body. Let's continue reading in chapter 6 and verse 13. He goes on to say, you say, and he's got another quote uh, or saying that the Corinthians would use in quotes, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. It seems to be that that was part of their saying. This food was made for the stomach, stomach's made for food, and it's all going to be destroyed someday. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. He's like, you say the body was made for food. I have a physical desire and need to eat. When I crave food, I eat it, right? Because you can't then say with that same line of thinking that your body was made for sexual immorality. Just because you have sexual urges and cravings and desires, he's like, you can't go about appeasing them through immorality or or sexual behavior that's been... um, that is not okay according to the way God designed us and created us. He goes on to say they were, our bodies, they were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power. Just as he raised our Lord from the dead. He goes, our bodies matter. God cares what we do in them because our bodies are connected to the rest of us. We're not just a spiritual being and what we do spiritually over here matters and then physical and what we do physically is over here and they're not connected. And he goes, you want proof for that? There's going to be a physical bodily resurrection. (laughs) Almost every funeral I do, I preach that the body we put in the ground, whether it's been burned or whether it's a hole, it's going to decompose, but that body is going to be raised by Jesus when he comes back. The body you have, right? It's going to be changed and transformed, but our physical bodies matter to God. They're part of who we are. We were created with them. And so Jesus wants to influence and needs to influence what we do with our bodies. Our human appetites, again, our our appetites that we have as physical creatures, um, when they're governed by our sin nature, they lead us away from healthy practices, from healthy lives. And they do damage us spiritually and physically and emotionally in every way. Romans 6, after um, Paul has been teaching in chapter 5 about the power of grace, and again, the, that where there is more sin, there's more grace, right? 
He goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? In other words, if I'm saved by grace and when I sin, God's grace is uh, showered on that or covers over it, well, should I just sin more so there's more grace? This is wonderful, right? And in verse 2, he says, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The deal is that God created you physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He created you to live the way he designed you. He created you to live for him, to walk in relationship with him. And so Jesus died for us, yes, to set us, uh, to save us eternally, but he also died to set us free right now from enslavement to destructive patterns of behavior that, that do damage to us. The church in Corinth seemed to be saying this. Well, our bodies were made with physical cravings. We want to eat. When we get hungry, we eat. The body was made for food, food for the body. And it's all going to be destroyed anyway. Um, and I'm not under the law anymore, right? So I can do whatever I want. I can meet my physical cravings. And there's no harm done. The logic is there. You can see how people think that way and arrive at those conclusions. And maybe some of us have too. The problem is it's not spiritually discerning wisdom it's not discerned or it's not spiritual wisdom that comes from God in order to understand how we're to live in relation to our human cravings we've got to gain spiritual wisdom and insight from the scriptures we've got to see how God intends for those physical needs to be met remember Jesus said man does not live by bread alone and so if you think that bread, physical things, are going to bring you contentment, purpose, happiness in life, and you, all you look at is the physical realm in association with, with things, then you're going to be led astray. Because you can't live by physical things alone. They are not going to fill your life, give you purpose and meaning and fulfillment. Turns out there's some much deeper, more important things that you need to be aware of and, and work towards the fulfillment of those things if you're going to truly have life. And so in the same way, Paul reminds us and really uses this um, example of eating to move into his real topic and real issue, which is their sexual practice and the way they were handling themselves sexually. And so he's dealing with that. Um, in our culture, we can see how eating, which is good for us and we must do, right? We need to eat to live, we need to eat to survive. So food's very, very important for us. I'm not going to make it very long without it, right? But when eating gets tied to the emotional response or feelings associated with it, so God made our bodies that they produce dopamine when we do things that are pleasurable. And eating can certainly get tied to that. Well, if I have some emotional hurts, if I have pain, if I'm suffering, if I'm struggling, if I'm depressed, discouraged, all of a sudden now I'm living to eat because it feels good. That's how things can get switched and crossed up in our lives. Where our physical 
desires, our cravings, the things that God made us for, made us to, uh, to engage in, can very quickly become a problem. Eating disorders are common issues when eating gets tied to emotional, mental struggles. When I'm trying to eat to give myself some good feelings to escape some pain, now I've got a problem. And the same thing is true with all of our physical appetites. We don't feed our appetites and cravings motivated out of our sin nature. The hurts, the wounds, the damage, the desires that we can get when we are full of anxiety and fear and and depression, all those things can produce in us an attachment to the dopamine release that makes us feel good for a moment as an escape from our pain and struggle rather than experiencing growth in our relationship with Jesus. Experiencing maturity, which means handling those things in the right way, in a healthy way. And that's what Jesus wants for us. We cannot trust, as we go through this life, just what feels good to govern our behavior. You want to know some things that feel good? Well, sorry, I know there's kids here. Some parents may not want me to say this, but getting drunk, it feels good, okay? Getting high, it feels good. Having sex outside of marriage, just having sex, um, uh, it feels good. At times when I'm in a difficult relationship, um, and, and I work with, with these all the time, getting a divorce can feel like the right thing to do. It can feel really good. Lying can feel good. Stealing can feel good. Gossiping about other people, that can feel really good. Slandering somebody that I hate deeply, man, that can feel really good, right? Taking offense at what someone did or didn't do in relation to me that I don't like already, that can feel great. All those things are destructive. They're patterns of destructive behavior that will damage us. They don't do good for us in our hearts, minds, or bodies. And we can start to see physically how we can carry the weight and the stress of some of these types of behaviors and things that we do when we just appease our sin nature, our physical desires, when we go the wrong direction with them and we trust the dopamine or whatever it is, the good feeling that we get. We need to learn to be governed not just by good feelings, but by Jesus. We need to learn who to trust. We don't trust our hearts, minds to lead us in the right direction. We have a sin nature. So you need to know within you is a temptation and desire to go the wrong way. You need to know what Jesus says and be governed by him. Obviously, there's a lot of things that feel good but are destructive. Got a family member who's wrestling, not really wrestling, but had made a decision to change lifestyle based on sexual orientation. And I remember talking to this uh, family member who I love, saying, hey, how did you come to this decision? Did you change your view of what the scriptures say? In other words, do you think God is okay with what you're doing? Or I said, do you just not care anymore? And of course, this individual said, well, I think God cares a lot more about a lot in my life than just what I do in the bedroom. And uh, that's been something I've heard a lot in my life. Why does God care about what I do in my bedroom? Uh, The church needs to stay out of the bedroom, like get out of this stuff. And the truth is, though, that God cares deeply about what we do in our personal lives because they're tied to our relationship with him. What you do in your life flows out of who you are. It matters what you do with your body because your body is connected to Jesus now. Look at verse 15. Don't you realize 
Paul goes on to say that your bodies are actually parts of Christ. Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her. In other words, there's more happening there than just a physical interaction. There's a deep spiritual connection that's taking place. There's a oneness that God created us to experience. We misuse sex. We join ourselves to people that we're not meant to be with. And, and we, we can join ourselves with multiple people. This is going to ruin our ability to have true intimacy. He goes on to say, for the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. I had a friend that was a little bit older. He was a little bit older than me. You know how old I am. And I got to lead him to Christ. And we're talking about following Jesus. And I'm discipling him. And we're going through this principle that Jesus is with you. Once you trust Christ, he lives with you. He's in you. And I said, even when you go on a date, because he was single, he'd been divorced. He wanted to be married. looking for a relationship. I said, even when you go on a date, Jesus is there with you. When you're at home in your apartment, making out after the date, Jesus is there with you. And if you go further than that, yeah, Jesus is there with you. And it kind of freaked him out a little bit. He never thought about that. Um, accountability is a good thing, right? Jesus is with you all the time because he cares. And he's trying to guide you and steer you in the right direction. We listen to the lies in our culture which is that the things that we do physically are just physical. That's all they are. It's just taking care of a need that we have. This is the message of the porn industry, right? That sex is just a transaction. Um, sex masturbation is just a thing we do to feel good. It, it's a release. Look, it's necessary. It's part of who you are. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Guiltless uh, taking care of your physical needs. And yet Paul indicates here, wait a minute, there's more going on here. If you've been connected to Jesus, you put your trust in him, you are part of his body. And what you do with your body becomes absolutely tied to your spiritual life and your relationship with him. And Jesus didn't just die to save you for all eternity. He died to come into your life now and direct your patterns of behavior so that you and I won't walk towards destruction Right? We won't self-destruct with our freedom, but we'll walk towards life. The truth is that the porn industry, and it's changing, it's hard to get a handle on it. I looked up, tried to find some statistics this week about the proliferation, how big the porn industry is. Well, it's shifting. It's moving away from the professionals to the amateurs, right? And so there's whole um, aspects of the internet that are really, porn begins a transaction between an indiv two individuals. And so it's changing and it's growing. It's massive. It's hard to even get a handle on how much of the internet is, um, how much activity on the internet happens and that's what's taking place. And so it's, uh, it's grown out of control and it's affecting a lot of us because it has access into our lives. It's so easy to get a hold of and interact with. And the truth is, I just want to tell you that we're seeing the manifestation of this problem in our young people who maybe perhaps start interacting with porn very young, 12, 13 years old, through their phone, their electronic device, and then pretty soon they're interacting with it, thinking it's harmless, it's no big deal, just taking care of a physical urge. And then they get into their 20s and they try to have a relationship and have a real relationship with real intimacy. And guess what? What was meant to be something that helped 
enable that relationship to take place, now they're unable to connect, unable to bond, unable to experience what God really intended. And so the destruction that comes about because of the misuse of what God created, we become, uh, we really are starting to see in even greater ways how the 60s has really turned into not freedom, but bondage, destruction. And so we're called back to the scriptures as the people of God to remind ourselves of the truth and that God, sex isn't dirty, right? It's not dirty. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing that God created. Um, A lot of people don't want to talk about sex in church, but I just remind you, it's in the Bible. It came from God. He's the originator of it. If it was bad, right, then we'd know that the devil created it, but he didn't. But you know the truth is that before you get married, God, uh, the devil will try to do everything he can to get you to utilize sex and explore sex outside of God's intention. And once you get married, he'll try to do everything he can to stop you from having sex as a couple. It is the way the devil works, to lie, to deceive, and to lead us astray. Healthy sex is powerful. It's a powerful, deep connection. And the secret about it is not just physical, it's spiritual. And it's meant to produce oneness between a man and a woman. Romans 12, 1 and 2 offers us encouragement and help if we have walked down that road. If our minds have been uh, uh, altered, damaged, traumatized by our interaction with pornography or whatever it might be. Um, sex outside of God's intention, abuse, um, um, uh, all the diversions and diversions that we experience There's hope for us because Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So whatever you've done in the past, now moving forward, offer your body to God as a living sacrifice. Verse 2, don't copy the patterns or the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There's hope for us. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and we get pulled into these patterns that warp and twist and alter our minds. The truth is that interaction with porn creates a trauma in the brain, and it damages us but we can find healing. Jesus is the healer. He's the creator. And so we have a ministry here called Celebrate Recovery that happens on Wednesday nights. And there's a 12-step as a part of that. We actually have a a group of ladies that are graduating this Wednesday night. If you want to come and celebrate with them, I think there's going to be pie and ice cream or something afterwards. Come and hear their testimonies of healing, of transformation, being set free. True freedom in Christ is freedom from sin not freedom to be in bondage or continue in bondage to it. This church in Corinth was very likely continuing to interact with the prostitutes, probably over a thousand that were at the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and the misuse of sex as just a a physical urge was something they saw and practiced all the time. And very likely they continued to be involved in it. Paul calls them out of it. You're not free to sin You're free from sin. And so, as we live in this life, it matters what we do with our bodies. And we learn as followers of Jesus, we must honor Jesus with your body. Look at verse 18. 
Paul finishes up this passage by saying, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. When you commit adultery, when you engage in sexual activity with another person, you are sinning against yourself when it's outside of God's parameters, which is within marriage. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Jesus addresses this issue of sexual adultery in Matthew 5, challenging us to move beyond just our physical behavior to really discern and look at the intention of our hearts. Matthew 5, Jesus said in verse 27, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. We have a problem in our culture in that we have access, we've allowed access into our hearts and minds and even our bodies um, through something that most of us are pretty addicted to. Jesus said, uh, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That's a pretty extreme response to a struggle with sin. But he's saying, if you're not gaining victory, you'd be better to lose a part of your body than to be destroyed. And so we have a problem in our culture is that we've allowed access to our hearts and minds. We've allowed access into us through something we actually utilize all the time. We carry it around with us and kind of we're addicted to it. And you know what it is. It's these little devices that are gateways into our hearts and minds. And I want to challenge you today that maybe you need to do something radical. Like, I don't know, I grew up without these. I remember a time without them. And uh, my life was a lot better in a lot of ways. So if you think you can't live without this, I just want to challenge you. Oh, I guarantee you can live without it. And, and Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to, maybe you need to take this phone and destroy it. Maybe you need to get rid of it. Because it's allowing things into your life that are destroying your life. You're not winning the battle against them. You know, we have areas of failure. We have sin that we've allowed in. And Jesus calls us to be radical. To deal with it radically. Don't allow it. Your soul's on the line. God isn't trying to keep you from having fun. He's trying to help you live life. To experience the good that he has for you in life. And when we engage in sin, we allow the devil into our lives I guarantee you we're not experiencing that life. Now, we all have, many of us have, areas of failure, areas of hurt, pain, trauma in our past where we've stepped out of line to God's uh, uh, commands for us regarding our sex lives. We've stepped out of line. And that can create trauma and pain. It does in us. It's a result of sin. And I I just want you to know that Jesus is not a God who comes to condemn us for our sin, Though if we don't respond to him, we do face condemnation. But he came to heal us and to set us free. In the Gospel of John, Jesus has an interaction as he's teaching one day. Pharisees, religious leaders, bring a woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. They say, Jesus, what should we do with this woman? She was caught in the very act of adultery. 
Now, there's a whole backstory to that. How do these guys catch her in adultery, you know? But, but they did, right? And so they bring him, and Jesus deals with the issue. It kind of ignores him for a little bit. He's drawn in the sand. We don't really know what he's doing. Writing something. People have speculated. They keep pushing him. Jesus, the law says we should stone her. What should we do? What do you say? And finally, Jesus stood up. Right? He looked at him. Okay, guys. Okay, you condemners. First one who's without sin can throw the first stone. Go. (laughs) And of course, what happened was the oldest first started to shuffle off, looking at the ground. Then the youngest, finally, until they were all gone. Because they recognized they didn't have the ability to condemn because they weren't sinless. Then Jesus looks to the woman and he said, woman, where are your condemners? Is there no one here left condemning you? And she said, no, they've all left. Then hear the heart of God, because Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, right? But go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus, thank you for your healing. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for setting us free from our bondage to sin. We are not capable on our own of doing what's right, but with you in us, we can. We can do what's right. We don't have to live in bondage to sin. So I pray for someone here today who's in bondage. They become a slave to something that's destroying them. I pray you set them free today. Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us, for moving heaven and earth to set us free. Help us to really live free by following you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.